Okay, so um, if you want to pick up here just with uh, letter B of point number two, we're talking about Gog and Magog. Gog and Magog are central to these events. Now, we were talking uh, kind of about uh, the establishment of the kingdom, uh, some different aspects of the kingdom, talking about how the saints return to rule and reign, the binding of Satan. If you, uh, if you missed that class, then you can go back and check out the podcast. Uh, the the URL is written right up here inside your title box on the first page. Um, but Gog and Magog are seen several times in Scripture. Now, Gog we see mentioned nine times, Magog five times. Now, the word Gog means prince or ruler, and Magog means the land or people of the prince. And so uh, one is the ruler and one is the, is the, is the kingdom, you might say, or the, or the people that are, uh, that are under the particular ruler. Um, they are typically understood to be Russia and its ruler. Uh, there are, uh, there's a lot of different uh, words that we could go through and, and, and take a look at, but, but basically uh, the names Rosh, uh, Meshach, and Tubal are associated with Gog and Magog in Scripture. And uh, many people today think that uh, Rosh would be uh, sort of an Old Testament uh, uh, reference to what we would call today Russia. Uh, Meshach is uh, a, a reference to Moscow, which could be. I think there's evidence for that geographically of what we know from the migration of those people and uh, just the reading of Scripture. I, I will say this. That is not necessarily conclusive. But I think it makes the best sense of any of the interpretations that are out there. But in some senses, we, well, let, let's, let's go through here and look at this. Uh, point number two, uh, and I, or rather um, letter A under point number two there. Ezekiel 38 and 39 details the assault upon Jerusalem by Gog and Magog, the prince and the people of the prince. During the tribulation period, the Battle of Armageddon. Okay, so we see that in, in Ezekiel 38 and 39. It's a large tract of scripture, but if you'd like to, to read through that. Now, it says in this passage, however, it seems that the names are meant to show the character of all the people who, re, who will revolt from all over the world. So uh, it, it's sort of hearkening back to that old spirit of rebellion uh, and... Uh, so when we see here in chapter uh, number 20, verses, let's see, 7 through 10, I believe, it says, And when the thousand years were expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth. Now, the four quarters of the earth. You read four quarters, four corners, think north, south, east, and west. It's basically coming from, from, from all directions. So here we have the people that are coming from all directions but then it refers to them as Gog and Magog. So in this instance, Gog would probably refer to who? Satan. Because he's, he's, he's the one who went out of the pit, went out to deceive the nations. And so just like, uh, you know, in like manner, he's rounding them up from all quarters of the world, all four corners. And then uh, Magog, the people who are following him. It's describing their character. In this, in this passage, it's describing probably the character and the spirit of rebellion there uh, that we see uh, attributed to an actual uh, 
country and, and ruler back in Ezekiel 38 and 39. And to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sands of the sea. So he's saying he found a lot of people to revolt very, very quickly. And this is a testimony to the sin nature in man. I've mentioned this several times throughout this uh, series, but, but just so we can see it again here. Now remember, at this time, uh, we've had a thousand years of perfect government. A thousand years of a nearly perfect existence on earth in which uh, much of the sin curse was lifted. We see uh, a great economic boom. We see uh, many that we see sin judged. And and that's how we know that there is still a sin nature on the earth during that time is because Christ is said to rule with the rod of iron. He has no tolerance for sin and his administration is righteous and incorruptible. And that means that... uh, you can't bribe the judge or the cop, you know, you can't make death threats against them because they can't die. Different things like that kind of come together in this perfect administration, but there's still sin in the hearts of man, mortal man. So now, uh, a lot of these people are following along outwardly, but when Satan gets loosed, you're going to see a lot of folks They're going to take advantage of that opportunity. You know, what what was the comedian's name? Uh, His his famous line ended everything up with, the devil made me do it. Who? Flip Wilson. The devil made me do it. Now, and so, you know, uh, but is that true? No. We wanted to do it. He gave us an opportunity to do it, and we did it. So, the devil made him do it. No. They wanted to. He didn't put anything in their hearts that wasn't already there. He just gave them a sort of a centralized figure himself to rally around and a halfway decent sounding plan. It did not take him any time at all to get a vast multitude of people to rebel against Christ. By the way, they're coming out of the four corners of the, earth, of the, of the world. We see that he's set loose to, to deceive the nations. Anywhere and everywhere else in Scripture, we see the term the nations. It is, it is always in reference to Gentile nations. Israel is not numbered among them. It's a Gentile reference. So, who apparently is the only one that escapes this deception? Israel. Largely because of the new covenant. We see some... We see evidence in Scripture that under the Old Covenant, the Mosaic Law, obedience was required. Under the New Covenant, we see that obedience is given (laughs) as a gift. Now, Israel, after their exile in Babylon, never again had any problems with idolatry. Right up till the tribulation period, when they thought Antichrist would be their Messiah, and even when he went into the temple and proclaimed to be God... They kind of, nope, (laughs) that can't be right. And then they fled. So they weren't really even necessarily guilty of idolatry then. So um, that that was one sin that they never had to worry about after the exile. But we see here that uh, it's going to be a massive army that Satan will be able to gather up very quickly. Um, John MacArthur writes, John gave these enemies of the king Uh, enemies of the king of kings the symbolic title Gog and Magog 
naming them after the invasion force that will assault Israel during the tribulation. Again, he cites uh, Ezekiel 38 and 39. So uh, it, it's sort of a, this mindset of the, of the last days there at the end of the millennial reign. How long will it take him to do it? I have no idea. Uh, in this, it, today, prior to the tribulation period, I think we definitely can ascribe uh, Gog and Magog as the ruler and the people of Russia, former Soviet Union, whatever form it takes uh, by the time the tribulation period comes to pass. But letter C, letter C. Finally, we see the anticlimactic end of all rebellion. Now, when I say anticlimactic, um, God himself is on the throne, visibly. A manifest presence in Jerusalem has been for a thousand years. So, you know, when Satan gets loose to, to deceive the nations and they all come against him, you can pretty much guess before you start even, before you even finish that verse, how that's going to turn out. <laughs> and, uh, and, and here it is. He says in, in verse number nine, and they went up into the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints or compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. That's it. I mean, that, that's just the end of all rebellion. You, you get an entire Bible that lays out very carefully from beginning to end the doctrine of sin, its consequences, uh, its judgments, why we do it, what happens with it, the kinds of sin, and the Bible in one verse puts an end to it all. It's really kind of abrupt when you consider the detail that the, that the entire, just even just the book of Revelation has taken to lay out the specificity, with great specificity, how the devil does things, how Antichrist will operate. And then all that just basically comes to an end with the phrase, and God burned him up. <laughs> it's, really, it's really sort of an abrupt ending. But number one there, a simple dependent clause and fire came down from out of heaven and devoured them. That's the end. Uh, the devil is simply said to be thrown into the lake of fire. Look at verse 10. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Uh, there are some, some folks that don't think the flames of, of the lake of fire are eternal. You know, uh, well, how could a loving God consign somebody forever to a place like that? Hmm. I mean, he loved us enough to die for us. And then he made it easy enough. He, he died for us. He, 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 he rose from the grave and then made it easy enough, said, look, if you'll just... If you'll just turn to me as Savior, believing that this happened, you're saved. I mean, he couldn't make it any easier and still be a just God. So, um, 
That's, that's the, the question. Or, or, or really, it's not a question, but that, that's the situation here. And you know, as Satan is cast, he, he goes, he's the third person to go in there. And we really don't have any indication that anybody else is there yet. We'll study verses 11 through 15 later. Um, and you know what? Depending on, we're doing really good on time here. And, and this, this next outline kind of gets into the two resurrections. We may not have to cover uh, verse by verse uh, this uh, 11 through 15. This study might be sufficient. But, uh, yes? Are there any verses in the Bible that talk about the fire going out? There are there, there No. Matter of fact, every verse in Scripture that even mentions it um, either doesn't say or indicates that it is forever and ever. And we're going to look at some of those today. Um, but so, the devil is simply said to be thrown into the lake of fire. And number three, note once again how the word are is used in reference to the beast and the false prophet. After a thousand years in that lake of fire, remember, right there at the end of the tribulation period when Jesus came back to, to establish his kingdom, one of the first things he did was to pitch both of them into the lake of fire, alive. So, two in the Old Testament that did not suffer death before being translated to heaven, there are two in the New Testament that did not suffer death before being uh, cast into the lake of fire. Everybody else will have died first. But they're still said to be there. It's been a thousand years since they were sent, and they're still said to be there. So a thousand years of burning, and they're not burned up yet. Um, we'll take a look at some of that a little bit more uh, in, in this next outline. Um, now, this attests to the permanent nature of God's judgment. You can't just burn up, and then that's all. It's over. That, that, that's a fuel that will keep that fire burning forever. So we'll lay that aside here, but I want to get into your next outline, just a very short front and back kind of a deal. I'm talking about the resurrections. So Revelation chapter 20, part 2, the resurrections. We had a, a great discussion last week about this, simply because the Bible, for the first time that, we're, that we see it, uses... Well, not really the first time, but we'll talk about that. But it uses the word resurrection in somewhat of an odd manner. Normally we think of resurrection as passing from death to life. And it certainly does mean that. But what do we see here? Two different resurrections. We talked about last week. There's a resurrection to life and apparently a resurrection to damnation. So eternal life and eternal burning. Uh, two kinds of things here. So number one. The first resurrection is the resurrection of saved people. Saved people. Now, um, I want to, to make this point. We touched on it last week, I believe. I'll make it again here at the outset. When the Bible says the first and second resurrection, or the first, it, it never says second resurrection. It uses the words, the term second death. But we do see a second type of resurrection mentioned elsewhere, and we'll take a look at those verses today. But when the Bible says... Uh, first resurrection, talking about saved people. But obviously, here in the book of Revelation, at the end of all you know, time, when, when Christ returns, it says he's coming back with, with his saints. There's that first resurrection. Is that the first resurrection? No. There were people in the Old Testament that were resurrected. There were people in the New Testament that were resurre resurrected. And so 
we have, uh, it's not the first, as in the first, number one, never before seen. It's the first kind, generally. It's, it's the first type, the first sort of, rev, of, of resurrection. And there's, a, there's a, not much of a debate, but there is some discussion as to whether or not people in the Old Testament and New that were resurrected, whether or not they actually had to die again, or whether they were just kind of translated up, um, you know, after some period of time, whatever point their resurrection had served its purpose. We, we never, now, now notice that, it's an argument entirely from, from silence, except that Paul says it is appointed to man once to die. And after death, judgment. So if, if, we, if he says once to die, he's probably talking about physical death because the second death is the judgment, basically. So what do, you, what do we have there? there there's, a, there's a premise that generally speaking, we only have to die in this body once. Uh, that's something that I, that I, I kind of makes me lean towards the, the two supernatural witnesses that we've talked about being Elijah and Enoch as opposed to Elijah and Moses because even as Elijah and Enoch went to heaven without having died first, they came back and then for the space of a few days, they were dead. You know, so even they suffered that death. There's a very interesting theory about Antichrist that I read from a well-respected theologian, A.W. Pink, Arthur Pink. Uh, his particular view is that Antichrist will be a, uh, in some way, shape, or form, return of Judas Iscariot. As, as, you know, how many of you have ever heard that theory before? Nobody? Okay. I will say this. If you're interested, I have the, the article that Pink wrote on my, on my computer. I can print it off and give it to you. He makes some interesting arguments. It is not entirely without scriptural support, but the argument that he gives is, is, is far from conclusive. Uh, and there's a few basic questions that I don't, that he doesn't even, an, doesn't even allude to, doesn't much less answer. So could it be, yeah, but, but, but if it was, Judas Iscariot, well, he died, he hanged himself, and then uh, either while they were taking him down or the rope broke, uh, he fell on the ground and his, and his guts burst out. So that would mean that, uh, see, brother, I'll get to it. Uh, either that or, uh, you know, but, but, but that would make sense then that he would be cast as the beast alive into the lake of fire. Why? Because he already died once. No big deal. But that leaves us with a, an unanswered question. Who then is the false prophet? who also never died before being cast in the... He, he may be another biblical figure that died, and so he didn't have to die again. You don't know. But it's, it's interesting. It's a discussion, but not really for today. I just thought I'd throw that out there uh, to spark further discussion. Um, but it's... So it's, it's not without some merit. I just don't think it's very conclusive. Um, it would be an interesting hobby that I might over the next seven or eight years explore and come down on one side or the other. But anyway, um, oh, by the way, guys, don't, don't get in a hurry to adopt a theological position just because it's novel. Um, you know, uh, we, we, we've got about 2,000 years of biblical Christianity. 
Odds are, if you thought of it or saw it by this time, you're probably not the first person. So try to find where somebody else said it. Think about how they said it. Compare it with Scripture. And then read some things that other folks have said about the theory. You might find that, that it's inconclusive, but, but, but it doesn't violate Scripture. And at that point, if you think that that's something you want to hold to, okay. Um, but I, I, I've, I've had some doctrinal positions that I've held that I've tweaked. I've never reversed myself on anything, but I've tweaked and refined certain doctrines, usually after about anywhere from four to six years of consideration. So don't, 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 don't get in a hurry just because something sounds cool. To, to change, or, or just because the teacher that you hear it from first is emphatic and he pounds a pulpit, okay? Um, there's nothing wrong with good, emphatic, pulpit-pounding preaching, uh, but if you've got a guy who's trying to uh, preach a doctrine from somewhere out of the corner of Scripture and he's pounding a pulpit, it's usually because there's nothing intellectual that he has to add, okay? It's sort of a, just listen to me because I said so kind of a thing. Um, can indicate shallow study. Not always, but it can. Um, so we just want to kind of, kind of get right into the rest of it here. Um, there's a first kind of resurrection that refers to save people. Now we see this in several areas. Um, can somebody grab Daniel 12 verses one through three? And, and most of the time when I mention things in scripture, unless there's a reason I want you to read a passage first, uh, most of the time I put it in canonical order for you. So, uh, Daniel 12, one through three, who's got that? Paul. Okay, so there again, Daniel is seeing two different kinds of resurrections. However, in Daniel, this particular resurrection, I hope everybody can see this. Um, Paul and other sources tell us the church is getting out before the tribulation period. Daniel he describes, the, the, the angel is describing the tribulation period to him. And then he says, now after that, many that sleep are going to wake up. And they're going to wake up to two different realities, depending on who they are. And so Daniel's probably Old Testament. Daniel doesn't give us an indicator here of any time that elapses between a first resurrection or a first type, second type resurrection. There may be, there may not be. We'll, we'll take a look at that in just a moment. Um, but so church age saints, and we'll get into this rising here, Old Testament saints rising here. Now, and that's by Daniel 12, one through three. Uh, who's got John 5, 28 and 29? John 5, 28 through 29. Somebody just with all kinds of outblurtage. 
And, and after this, I'm going to ask somebody to read Acts 24, 15 to Holly. Okay, so there Jesus in, in, chapter, in John chapter 5 says there's going to be a resurrection to life and there's going to be a resurrection to damnation. Now, um, so Jesus, he didn't say first resurrection and second resurrection. He didn't use those words. But uh, John later tells us that there's the first kind of resurrection. That's the resurrection to life. And then that, that leaves us with, you know, if you're going to say first, the term second resurrection is not found, but it's the second kind of resurrection because apparently there's only two types. So uh, now, um, Acts 24, 15. Yes, sir. And have both toward God, which they themselves also allow, which they themselves allow also that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and unjust. Okay, so Paul's saying that both, uh, or not Paul, uh, Luke is writing, Luke is writing that, that there will be a, a resurrection of the just, and he also calls it a resurrection of the unjust. And so, once again, both kinds of people are said to be resurrected. Um, Acts doesn't tell us the destination of each, but we've had that in other places already. So, we've got a, a first resurrection and a second kind of resurrection, but letter A here, and I've tried to... Um, I've tried to use the same kind of an outline for both of these points, but it, letter A, it will be a bodily resurrection. Both types, or really, but the first resurrection will be a bodily resurrection. Okay, it will be a body that was designed for eternity. A body that's designed for eternity. That is, yes, sir. Mm-hmm. So it's, 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 it's one resurrection, but you get two different outcomes. You've got, you got some that are going to be going into damnation, mm-hmm. and you've got some that are going to be going into everlasting life of Christ. Right, but uh, except for the fact that the, the book of Revelation, as we saw last week, does distinguish between this type of resurrection and another type of resurrection, right. and, uh, and at different times. Because even the first type of resurrection has had different iterations down through history. I think, I think the second resurrection in Revelation, if, if I remember correctly, is referring to those who did not, were in the tribulation period, that did not bow down to the Antichrist or the beast or mm-hmm. anything like that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, that's calling that a second resurrection. Well, it says it calls it the first resurrection. Yeah. Now let's uh, let's take a look here. Keep keep reading here. Um, I just I want to look at the body first of all because I think we need to establish that a body designed for eternity. Uh, it will be able to stand in the presence of God. Somebody catch uh, Job twenty five verse uh, Job nineteen twenty five to twenty seven. If I can get another volunteer for First John three two. Let's have 1 John 3, 2 first. Just, that's probably easier to get to from where you're at. Go ahead, brother. 
Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Okay, so we'll see him as he is, and we'll be like him. Um, have you thought about this recently? That in Isaiah, where we see the angels kind of orbiting the throne of God, they're not, they've, got two, they're, they've got six wings. They're covering their feet with two, they're covering their eyes with two, and they're flying with two. So the angels who are around him, the closest to him, who have never committed any sin, we call them holy angels, don't look at him. But we're going to do it and be glad to do it. And we've been saved by grace. That's that's an awesome picture of how the grace of God operates. Those who never stood any risk of judgment don't dare to look on him, but those who did will look on him with gladness. Now, um, so there's, uh, who's got Job, the Job reference? Go ahead. Okay, so Job, even back then, and chronologically speaking, Job was the first book of the Bible ever written. So before Moses penned Genesis, somebody wrote Job. Now, uh, so Job had that understanding of a resurrection in which he said, he said, this body of mine is going to fall apart. I'm going to be a feast for worms and it won't matter because at the resurrection day, I'm going to be able to behold him. (laughs) So that's a, you know, so it will be a physical body. Look at the way Job is describing this here. Uh, now move on down here, number three. It will not be capable of destruction. Now I'm not. We're not going to take time to read through all this, but 1 Corinthians fifteen forty-two through fifty-five makes that that perfectly clear. <laughs> it said we're buried in corruption, will be raised in incorruption. Uh, you will not be capable of suffering degradation harm, anything. It's just a, a state that is, is totally unchanging from one, if you want to say, day to the next. Now, number four, though Paul describes it as a spiritual body, uh, it will have material qualities. Now, we can look here. You know, matter of fact, it sums it up in Romans chapter 6, verse 5. Somebody grab Romans 6, 5. Romans 6, 5. Go ahead. In the back. Okay, so Paul says if we've been planted there in the likeness of his death, our resurrection is also going to be after the same. It'll be a bodily resurrection. Uh, and then we see that from Luke 24, 39. Who's got that one? Luke 24, 39. Thank you. So Jesus' resurrection was a bodily resurrection. Paul says our resurrection is going to be just like that. And so, I mean, Jesus could walk around. He could eat. He said, touch me, which means he had some material substance. And yet that same substance, the resurrection body would be a great study to go over. Um, this, this, this 
new material body, even though it's solid, is apparently not constrained to follow the natural sets of laws that we have because the Bible makes it very clear that one of his resurrection appearances, the door was shut and he walked right through it and said, here I am. You know, and then he told Doubting Thomas, touch me. <laughs> you know, so, so for the, for apparently for the resurrection body, it's, uh, it's, not a, a, it's not a thing for two bodies of matter to occupy the same point in space at the same point in time. But that's one of the reasons why most of our other phys- uh, physical laws work. <laughs> so you get something that's not really confined to creative order, though it be a creation itself. Now, um, so, that, so it, will be an, it will be a bodily resurrection. But letter B, there are several iterations of the first kind of resurrection. Several. Christ is described as the first fruits. There in, in, in 1 Corinthians 15, 20, and 23, or the first of the kind. The first fruits, or the first of the kind. At the rapture, only the dead in Christ shall rise. For somebody grab uh, 1 Thessalonians 4.16. 1 Thessalonians 4.16. Go ahead. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Okay. Um, th- that's basically the dead in Christ. The term dead in Christ, or anybody in Christ, is a uniquely church age term. It always and only refers to a specific group of people. And what we read basically from Daniel, uh, Daniel 12, verses 1 through 3, how that Daniel, the Old Testament saints, rising after the tribulation period, and then the New Testament teaching that the church is being raptured prior to that, we have at least three iterations, at least, of the first kind of resurrection. Now, now, if you could say four, if you believe that uh, the people who were resurrected, you know, prior to the cross, like by the miracles of Jesus and, or touching prophets' bones, things like that, if you believe that they did not die but were translated after that, not suffering physical death twice, if you're going to go that route, then we have four so far iterations or four instances of the first resurrection. But, but Christ, at least Christ first, the church at the rapture, Old Testament saints after the rapture or after the tribulation period. So there's, there's three instances there, and I'll make room for another here in just a minute. Um, number two, at the rapture, only the dead in Christ will rise. We just read that. After the tribulation period, Old Testament saints will be resurrected. Now we read, uh, we read Daniel 12, 2. We've just read that. Let's go read Daniel 12, 13 real quick. Just take a look there. Uh, Daniel 12, 13. Somebody gets there before I do. Go ahead and blurt it. Paul. Okay. So God basically... T- read that again, nice and loud. Okay, so there's, there's God telling Daniel, but go your way and rest. 
Because and, and, you're going to stand in your lot at the end of days. The end of what days? The end of the days that he was just describing there, tribulation period. So Daniel 12.2, Daniel 12.13, talking about that resurrection of Old Testament saints, not in Christ, not church, but saints saved by grace in Old Testament times. Church rising before the tribulation, Old Testament rising after the tribulation. Now, it is possible that a third iteration of the first, or, or if you're going to count, you know, like I said before, if you're going to count all the other resurrections that uh, prophets and, and Jesus and the apostles did as, as maybe not having died but been directly translated, we can, I think there's room for that. Um, then this would be like a fifth kind of, of, of iteration here. But what do we see? It's also possible, well, yeah, let's, let's, let's do this. It's also possible that a third iteration of the first resurrection will recur simultaneously with the wicked dead. And I think this goes back to Jim's point. It's still the first kind of resurrection as opposed to the different kind of resurrection, that is to, to damnation, but it could take place simultaneously. Now, I'll be honest with you. I, I have not read one, and this gets back to what I was saying earlier about, you know, try not to be the only one. <laughs> I haven't read anybody on this passage, and I'll be happy to reread it, uh, all, all the sources that I studied and find out. I have not read anyone who thinks that there will be saved people standing at that great white throne. Simply because of what we read about it, that there's, there's books that, that the dead's names and works were read. And if their name wasn't found in the book of life, they were read there. So what does that mean? And maybe we will do a, a, a study, an in-depth study on 11 through 15 later because we're not going to have enough time today to cover it. It could be that, the, that, the, the, that final iteration of the first kind of resurrection there's simply nothing said about it. But we do read that in verse 5, the rest of the dead live not again until a thousand years were finished. That could theoretically... Now, now, last week I said that it probably wouldn't, but I'll make room for it. It could theoretically cover who? Who's the only group of people that we haven't seen... The only group of righteous people that would have died or could have died that we haven't seen resurrected yet. We see tribulation age saints have been resurrected. We'll see church age saints and Old Testament saints because the revelation says that he's coming with those who were beheaded for Antichrist. So they're going to be included in the number at the second coming of Christ. There's one group of people that we sometimes overlook. Any guesses? Bearing in mind that up to this point we're covered to the millennium. There may be and probably will be righteous mortals that have died during the millennial reign. You know, the scripture tells us, you know, it's going to be said that if a guy dies at 100 years old, oh, he was so young, you know, it's going to be like the death of a child. Now that indicates that A, people are going to die during the millennium, 
But, but the, just the, the feel of the verse gives us the indication that it was a death that was maybe by accident or maybe by, by injury, probably not necessarily by judgment, you know. Those aren't usually words that we use of, a, of somebody that was condemned to death. So there, and it'd probably be a small number, relatively small number, but millennial age saints who died, we haven't accounted for them yet. And that would be that final iteration that I'll make room for here at the, at the probably not standing before the great white throne. I think that's a different, that's a different courthouse. <laughs> that's a different courtroom. Um, but when we read here that, that if their name wasn't found in the book, lots of folks take that to be, see, this is written, this is for your benefit. You're not in there. But the way the passage reads, it could also be that, uh, you know, you're, you're uh, standing here. Everybody that's dead, get up. Okay, your name's in the book. You go to that bench. Your name's in the book. You go to that bench. Your name's in the book. You go to that. But your name's, your name's not there. You go over here. Sort of a separating of sheep and goats like we see at the second coming of Christ at the start of the millennial reign. Could be something like that. And there we go. Um, it is also possible, but not provable, that all those throughout Scripture who were resurrected were translated. And we already kind of covered that, but that word is translated. So you have, you have several iterations of the first kind of resurrection, but there's really only one occurrence of that second kind of resurrection, which is to death and judgment. Um, now, number two, the second resurrection is of the lost and we, again, it's a lot of the same verses that we read before talk about a resurrection uh, to damnation as well. But it will be a bodily resurrection. Let's stop there. We'll talk about point number two along with the rest of Revelation chapter 20 next week. So keep this outline. There'll be a, a, another outline that I'll come up with for uh, uh, verses uh, 11 through 15 of Revelation chapter 20. And then we'll come back and we'll take a look because a lot of this will feed back into uh, verses 11 through 15. We talk about that next week.